Okay, turn with me uh, in your Bible to Psalm 132. And I'm going to start a series um, on Psalm 132 through Psalm 134. And we're going to take several weeks to just kind of walk through this. Um, Those of you that tuned in at all to the conference, uh, to the One Thing Conference, you know that that was one of the, the main chapters, that Psalm 132 is one of the main chapters that they were preaching from at the conference. Well, for me, I was super excited when uh, they started preaching on that because the two days leading up to the conference, I had been meditating on Psalm 132, 133, 134 and just really felt like the Lord had been stirring my heart about it. And um, I grabbed actually Dave and a couple other of the, of the guys and I said, man, this thing, Psalm 132, it's really brewing in my heart. And I just started just sharing a thought or two. And, uh, and Dave looked at me kind of funny. He goes, did you know that that's basically the theme of the conference? And I said, no, I had no idea, but it's really been on my heart. He goes, yeah, that's like three or four sessions they're going to devote to Psalm 132. I said, well, that's awesome. We have the same Holy Spirit. And so, uh, but I felt charged by the Lord, like, man, this is something the Lord is speaking. And so uh, I want, I, and I knew I wanted to come back um, from the conference and actually just begin to take a few weeks and go into this. And so uh, Psalm 132, it is, it's really a critical chapter uh, about building the house of prayer. And it goes back to David's, really his commitment and his vow to the Lord to find a dwelling place for the Ark of the Covenant and to find a resting place for God on earth. And so I just want to read through uh, the first nine verses and then just make some comments. And uh, tonight will be more of an overview and then we'll kind of work through it. But I really feel like the Lord wants us to engage with this as a community I really strongly feel like the Lord wants to even refresh the vision for building the house of prayer and tie in the dynamics of building community as well as building the night watch and seeing the break-in of God, seeing revival actually move in that, in that reality. Those, all those ingredients together, and, and we find those in Psalm 132 through 134. So let's just read this, Psalm 132, verse 1. It's a song of ascents. And if you wonder what that is, there's like 15 psalms that are, they have that little phrase, a song of ascents. And they were the psalms that, they're twofold. One, they believe that the priest would sing these psalms as they were ascending into the temple to, to do their priestly duties. They would sing these different psalms. And secondly, they, they believe that they were the psalms that the pilgrims, that the, the Jewish people would sing as they were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the uh, feast three times a year, that they would sing these psalms as they were ascending up into Jerusalem. And so when you read those, those uh, 15 or so psalms, just get that in your mind. There were these psalms that were preparing the heart to encounter the Lord. And, and really all of them are kind of, they're kind of um, celebrative, joyful, um, they set the hope, you know, of what God will do. So Psalm 132, verse 1, a song of a sense. Lord, remember David in all his afflictions, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. And this is the vow. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids. Until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Verse 6 says, Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. Ephrathah is the region around Bethlehem. You have Bethlehem, and, and, and it's this region around Bethlehem. We heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of the woods. Let us go into his tabernacle. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place. You and the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. Now, this psalm, it doesn't have a a stated author. But if you look at 2 Chronicles 6, and we won't look at it, but I'll encourage you to look at it later. 2 Chronicles 6, you'll find that the very words 
uh, of, of verse 8 and 9. They're from 2 Chronicles 6, right after Solomon had uh, dedicated the temple. Um, and so it's very likely that this is Solomon speaking in the next generation after David. And he's saying, Lord, remember the promises you made to David. Which I think it's interesting what Dave shared. Because there you have it. You have a son who's declaring the promises that the Lord had given to his father and calling the peoples and calling the Lord to account of it and calling the peoples into remembrance of it. And so here we have Solomon likely and he's saying, God, remember, remember the vow that David made to you. Remember how David was zealous to build the house of prayer. And I'll just recall it in your minds. You remember when David became king, the first thing he did was he went to go find the ark. And he wanted to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. And he wanted to set up a night and day prayer before the ark of the Lord. And when he first set out, he hadn't gone through the, the books of the law. And he, he didn't know what to do. And they set the ark on a new cart. And, and when the ox stumbled, uh, you know, they, it, it, it was a, a thing where they, they reached over and they touched the ark and, and, and the man was struck dead. And David, was, he was broken hearted because here he is trying to get God to, to, to have a resting place in Jerusalem. And here one of his guys is dying at, at, at this whole encounter. So he has to go back and he has to find the, the book of the law. And they've got to find out, well, it's carried on the backs of the Levites. You can only carry the ark on the backs of the priesthood. And, and so David goes back through the whole process again, and he, he finds the ark, and they take it every six paces. They sacrifice to God, and they do that for about 20 miles all the way into Jerusalem. And then it says that he brought the ark, and he set it up in a tent that he prepared for it. And it's at that point that David turns to his chief song leader, and he says, listen, start. And they literally start night and day worship before the ark of the Lord right then and there. And it's just a, you know, a little bit of time where David is actually in his palace. He's looking out at the tabernacle that he'd set up with the ark and the worship going. And all of a sudden he gets, he gets convicted in heart. And he's like, he's burning over this thing. He goes, I've got the ark, I've got the worship going, but it's just wrong. I'm in a temple, I'm in a, a palace made of cedar and all this glorious stuff. And God's out there in a tent. That's awkward. You know, your house is awesome and God's is really not. And David is, he's smitten and he's convicted over it. And so he's in his heart deciding he wants to build a temple for the Lord. And thankfully the prophet comes to him and he says, hey listen, this thing that's in your heart is, it's, it's a good thing you desire. But it's not what the Lord desires for you and your generation. In fact, your son will build the temple of the Lord. And then he begins to prophesy to David and he tells David that even from his line, even from his lineage, that Messiah would come forth and sit on his throne. Now, I mean, you and I, if we get a good prophetic word, we're like, you know, give me a word. And they go, you know, God said he likes you. And uh, you're awesome or, or whatever. You know, this, this verse or this gift or whatever. We go, oh, that's an amazing word. It was, you know, something I was meditating on. And the guy said it right to me. Well, what if you got the word... The prophetic word that Messiah is coming out of your lineage. It's probably the most intense prophetic word you can get. That from your lineage, God in the flesh will be born. And I just see that whole interaction. David's desire to see God worshipped with abandon. To, be, to see God worshipped for the greatness that he is. That David's heart to see night and day worship happen before the ark and a temple erected for, for God, a place of, of dwelling, a place of habitation. That desire in the heart of David, it's like the Lord's response to David. And, you know, he says, you know, you can't build me a house, David, but I'm going to build you a house. There'll be a lineage of kings that comes out of your loins. And then from your very line, from your very lineage, God in the flesh will come forth. My very son will, will come out of your lineage, David. When you look at that interaction between David and the Lord, and the way the Lord treats David's desire to see God have a dwelling place on earth, there's this 
there's this really tender and this really powerful thing going on. And it's, it really is what David said in Psalm 27. You know, he goes, this is one thing I desire. He says, I want to be with you. I want to gaze on your beauty. I want to dwell with you. I want to serve you, Lord. That's one thing that's in my heart. I want to be with you. I want to gaze on your beauty, to dwell in your house. And it's, it really is that heart that David had chosen the good part. Now, here's a man. He's the king. He's got all the military. He's got all the, the finances you could want. And his heart cry is, I want to gaze on you and dwell before your presence. And there is just something igniting. I mean, when you look at that narrative and that drama that's going on between David and the Lord, there is something igniting between the human heart and the heart of the Father. And that's when God says of David, he goes, I mean, we get the proclamation earlier, but he says it of him after David's lived all his days. He says, here is a man who did all my will. A man who did all my will. And it has to do with that heart to find that dwelling place. That habitation for God. That heart that says, I don't want anything else but to see God at rest on the earth. I want to see God reigning on the earth. And so David's mentality was this, that the most important thing for the outcome of his life was that there would be a dwelling place for God. Now think about that. Billions of dollars... Political power, military might. But when you you boil it down, David's heart desire is, I want him to be glorified majestically on the earth. I want him to have a dwelling place, a resting place. I want there to be a habitation for God. And so when you look at this, this idea about David's vow, it's like the lifetime vow of David. The lifetime burning in David's heart. He goes, I will not rest. I won't give any sleep to my eyelids. I'm not going to stop going after this until God's presence is manifest and he's got a habitation, a dwelling place on the earth. I just wonder, when you think of all the pursuits, I mean, we just came around the, the new year and you know, everybody's, you know, making resolutions. I'm not a big resolution guy. I've never kept one. And thus, I'm not, I'm not a resolution guy. They don't tend to work. Um, but when you have this kind of, you know, we, it's a new year, and, and what are we going to do? And we're going to change this and change that. We're going to be, you know, make new commitments and resolutions and all that. I wonder if there's any higher resolution or vow that anyone could ever make. A dwelling place for God on the earth. Because I'm singular in my pursuit. I'm after one thing. It's to dwell in his house. And I won't stop until his presence is manifest and there's a habitation for him to dwell. Well, here it is. I mean, our house of prayer, I mean, we are really weak in, in, in our endeavor here. But somehow, by the grace of God, we're coming up on eight years night and day, guys. Eight years. How? I mean, how is that happening? And not eight years where we put a CD on. Eight years with somebody leading a worship set that has not stopped day or night. I mean, we just came through the holidays, and it was thin, and it was weak, I mean, I sang on a set. You missed out. I mean, we just let anybody on the platform almost. You let me up there. But, I mean, and it just so weak coming through, just, I mean, just thin. I mean, and I remember, you know, being in here Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and just, just, you know, it's a handful, just a handful. But the fire on the altar continues to burn. The fire of worship and prayer continues to burn. And somehow... Honestly, by the grace of God, we find ourselves coming around the corner on our eighth year. And I look back and I just go, Lord, this had to be your idea before it was any of our idea. Well, he goes, well, of course it was. Because it's so evident to me on this side of things that there's no way that this happens unless the Lord does it. Well, of course, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. 
Of course, there's got to be the human yes. There's got to be the yes in the human heart that agrees with the desire of God. And so what God does, as crazy as it sounds, in his perfection, he actually partners with broken down, weak people like us to see to it that just like in heaven, where it's night and day worship and prayer, he releases that reality here on earth. He actually partners with broken, weak humans in the most epic thing that you can imagine. Heaven being released on earth. And I, I do, I step back and I, I just shake my head. And I go, I don't know how, and, 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 and I just say, Lord, you're just, this is your idea far more than it's mine. It's your desire far more than it's mine. And, uh, and you know, somebody goes, well, I, you know, I have a problem with that. Why are you doing night and day prayer? And I would say, well, take it up with God because he was doing it in his throne room from everlasting before any human ever got an idea for it. The throne room of God is live worship and prayer night and day and has been from everlasting before any human ever got the idea. But what happens to David is what's going on in the throne room of God, all of a sudden it pierces his heart and his desire becomes fully aligned with God's desire. David sees that God rules and reigns in the affairs of humanity and that his throne room is ceaseless worship and prayer. And David recognizes that's the way it should be on earth. Before Jesus ever taught the Our Father, before he ever taught the Lord's Prayer on earth as it is in heaven, David said, I vow to make the centerpiece of my kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So he gets, he gets pierced with this vision. And then he goes on and describes how that very vision is what makes him a mockery among his family, among his friends, among the, the governmental officials, and among the drunks. In Psalm 69, he, he explains that. I just want to read a few of these verses. You know, David is a great one to read if you've ever felt alone. Because he spent large portions of his time feeling alone. And uh, it wasn't enough that he was this young guy that got great favor and that got, you know, promoted up. And then Saul is trying to kill him. And now he's, he's exiled. And, and, you know, that will, that will make you, you know, somebody that everybody stays away from. But then when he actually comes into power, his main focus is night and day worship and prayer. It's like... He went from being the exile to being in power, and now he's just straight weird. And look, look at it. Look what David says about his own life. Psalm 69, verse 6. I, this verse, I, I've, uh, I've identified with it. He says, Let not those who wait for you, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let not those who seek you be confounded because of me, O God of Israel. I just think that's hilarious. He goes, Lord, I don't want to be an offense to anybody. I don't want to be a stumbling block. I don't want to be the one that they look at me and they think, you're totally nuts. God's weird. I don't want to be that guy. He goes, let them not be uh, uh, confounded or ashamed because of the way I look. Verse 7. Because for your sake I've borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. I've become a stranger to my brother's. And an alien to my mother's children. Why? Verse 9. Because zeal for your house has eaten me up. Because they've thought of me as bizarre and they've ostracized me. Why? Because I'm burning with this vision to see that you would have a habitation on the earth. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Little side note, can you think of anyone else who they said about him, zeal for your house has eaten me up? That's right, Jesus. That's pretty good. David and Jesus, they were able to say in truth, he is eaten up. He is completely possessed with the desire to see God's habitation uh, on the earth, and, and Jesus takes it to a whole other level because he's flipping over tables, making a whip, driving people out. You've made my father's house into a den of thieves. 
I mean, Jesus takes it to a whole other level. David's just like zealous about getting the ark back and getting the thing, you know, going. Let's get some worship going. Let's get a temple built. Jesus is like, I'm about to drive you out of the temple. That was the only, that verse is the only one that I think enabled the disciples to hang with him. It's like, this is cool. Jesus, things are getting, you know, momentum's building. The new ministry is growing. We're with Jesus. He's doing miracles now. This is awesome. Why has he got that whip in his hand? Why is he hitting those guys with the whip? And they go, oh, that's right. Zeal for the house of prayer. It's eating him up. Now, I'm not encouraging any of our section leaders or staff or anybody to get a whip, beat people up that aren't taking the house of prayer. Seriously, that's not the point. But what is the point is there's the spirit that the Lord puts on people a good one, that looks foolish to others. There's a gripping that happens to the heart that is by the Spirit of the Lord, and it looks completely ridiculous to others. Even to the extent of people being ostracized and and people being looked down upon. And it says, uh, zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Verse 10 why did that happen to you, David? When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach. This whole idea of giving myself to seeking the Lord fervently, to seeing the habitation of God be upon the earth, this whole idea to be gripped with a vision, to see something more in my generation where God was at rest among his people again. Fasting and prayer and seeking the Lord with aggression, it's actually become a reproach to me. And I'll just say this. I've been watching this for 10 years now. And by the grace of God, I'll do it another 10 or 20 or till Jesus comes or I go. But I've watched this thing over and over and over and over. And, and, and the goal isn't to be as weird as possible so you become a reproach. That's not the goal. Some people, they get into prayer, fasting, seeking the Lord. They just get bizarre. And of course, they become a reproach because they act weird. Don't look at me that way. You know what I'm talking about. But there is this thing where you're pursuing the Lord and all of a sudden you find yourself in this place and nobody gets it. Nobody gets it. And, it, and there's people that get it, but right now you're not surrounded. You know, you're, you're in that place where all of a sudden you're surrounded by nobody who gets it. You're like, why are you so intense? Why are you so aggressive? What is your problem? Man, you're too thinny. You're too skinny. You're too thin. Eat some food. What's going on with you? Are they starving you? They're force-feeding you caffeine and not allowing you to eat, aren't they? I mean, and all of a sudden, it just gets, you know, this reproach comes on you. And they're like, why don't you just simmer down, just back it down, just be normal like the rest of us? Listen, I promise you, There is no breakthrough if you settle down into normal like the rest of us American Christianity. Normal like the rest of us American Christianity is not bringing breakthrough in one city in our entire nation. There is no salvation. There is no revival in normal like the rest of us. But if we say yes to the Bible, we say yes to the precedents that are in the Scripture, we we say yes to the Holy Spirit and allow Him by the grace of God to direct us into the will of the Lord, all of a sudden you find yourself engaging with God and doing things you never dreamed you would do in complete weakness, but anointed by the Holy Spirit where He carries you in a way that you just can't imagine. And little old people like us who in a really weak way find themselves eight years down the road and we go, how did this night and day prayer thing work? It keeps going because God desires it even more than us. And he takes what's in his heart, the very desires that are inside of him, and he actually puts it inside of people. The only way that night and day prayer happens in this place or in any of the places that it's happening around the earth, I mean, it's happening in so many places, is by the Lord taking a little bit of the zeal that's in his heart and releasing it into the heart of, of humans. He actually puts the influence on the human heart. People say yes to God. They, they'll, they'll pray crazy prayers. Like, God, whatever you want me to do, God, I'm in. And he's like, <laughs> this is awesome. I've got them. I can do whatever I want. They said it. 
I mean, I own them because I bought them by my blood, but now they're in agreement with me. This is sweet. I'm going to put zeal in their heart for night and day prayer. And when that begins to happen to somebody, all of a sudden, they find themselves engaging with the Holy Spirit in a way that, as David encountered, brings a bit of a reproach. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't tend to compute with people. And so verse 11, he says, I have made my garment sackcloth, and I became a byword to them. And those who sit in the gate, they speak against me. That was the governmental leaders of the land. Those who sit in the gate. That's where the business was done, in the gate. In the gate of the city is where the leaders were. So he goes, the leaders of the city are speaking against me. And then he says, and I'm the song of the drunkards. So from the bar to the city gate... They're singing crazy songs about crazy David or they're making fun of him behind his back. Because he was tapping into something that was touching the heart of God, which God said, he's a man after my own heart. You see how that works? So many times the human perspective is, this is completely crazy, but the heavenly perspective is, this is what's on my heart. It's the very thing that moves me. And I've, I've been, you know, in some form of ministry for over 20 years. And that entire time, at some level, been ministering to young people. And somebody said, well, man, if you're so aggressive and you call young people to radical lifestyles, you know, isn't that a little bit careless? And I would just say this, you know, we have not seen a, a radical enough generation of young people in America yet. We have not seen it yet. And God wants, to, God wants to release such a, and what I mean by radical isn't just crazy. I mean just radical in abandonment and obedience to the word of God, following the Holy Spirit, seeking God in fasting and prayer, and living out the scripture. That style of radical. And, and here's what I found in 20 plus years of ministry. Really what people are looking for, because there's an itch inside of them to do something, you know, you know, just do something with abandonment with God. And really what people are looking for is just Somebody to give them permission. Just somebody to say, hey, you can go for it. You can go for it, and there's grace available for you to go as far as you want to go in God. You can go for it. You want to, you want to seek the Lord in fasting and prayer? You want to go deep in revelation in the scripture? You, you want to see the power of God manifest in, in signs and wonders and healings and, and preaching the gospel to the lost? You can go for it. You want to spend long hours before the Lord in worship and open the scripture and have your heart moving and burning and fire? You can go for it. And that's really what I'm finding is that people are simply looking for someone who will give them permission to go after God with a radical pursuit. And I'll tell you this, as, as, as long as I live, I want to be touched by that spirit that gripped David with zeal. That spirit that gripped Jesus with zeal, that there'd be a zeal in my heart for the habitation of God among his people. And I wouldn't shy back and become normal like everyone else, but there'd be this thing on the inside that says, I can't settle for normal. Normal's not going to do. And, and I want to say this to our community. Guys, the only reason we're here is by the grace of God. But even more than that, I want to say, we can still go so much further into the heart of God. We can come so much uh, more intensely under that, that influence of that Spirit of God that, that puts zeal in us to see a habitation of God. I want to see a habitation of God. I was thinking about these ideas and I was saying, you know, Lord, the only reason it's in my mind at all to have night and day prayer in Atlanta, well, firstly, it was in your mind, clearly, it's far more it was in your mind before it was ever in mine. But secondly, the only reason that, that we're even doing this is because we're under sovereign influence. We're under the influence of God bringing through us his very desire. I don't know how you want to live. But I want to live under the influence of God and God working and, and, and willing through me his desire and his pleasure. Isn't that how you want to live? You don't want to live dull and pursuing your own this and that and whatever you think will make you happy. I mean, that, that ultimately is not going to bring your, your heart satisfaction. But to live under the influence, under the sovereign influence of the Holy Spirit, where God is bringing through you His very desires in a generation. 
ah, I want to I get into that. And I look at David and I look at the crazy vow he made. I won't rest. I won't give sleep to my eyes. I won't go to my resting place until I found a resting place for God. I go, man, that was a crazy, out-of-the-box kind of a vow to make, David. And, and I think David would say the thing, same thing. Because, yeah, I got possessed. I, I, got, I came under the influence of, of the sovereign hand of God. The divine hand was directing me into it. And I think he might say, I was out there tending sheep, 15 years old. And I started playing these songs. And every time I'd sing, I just started feeling something on my heart. I just started feeling the, the presence of God come. And all of a sudden, I started getting a vision for what it could look like when, if God could, could take over all of Israel. I started getting a desire in my heart to see the dwelling place of God as a place of encounter. And then this prophet Samuel came and dumped a bunch of oil on me, messed me all up. And the way that I look at it, I, personally, I look at the, the, the way that the Samuel and David story unfolded. I'm pretty confident that Samuel is the one that seated young David with the vision for night and day prayer. That at an early age, that young worshiping, anointed, you know, he's this anointed warrior who has this powerful worship anointing. That, and God says, I'm going to make you king. But it's so that you can pursue the very thing I pierced your heart with, David. I'm going to make you king so that you can have a throne for me on the earth. I love it. And David, you know, he, he, he says yes to it at a young age. He becomes the very pursuit of his life. God delays him, matures him, puts him in the Bible school of demonized Saul. He comes through it all. And then when David becomes king, the very first thing he does is he clears the temple mount of the Jebusites and he goes and gets the ark. That thing was burning in his heart from a young age. Undoubtedly, he made the vow early. Early he made the vow. Because he wasn't after being the king for his own personal gain. He was after being the king so that God could be exalted. So that a habitation, a dwelling place of God could be released. He says, uh, those who sit in the gate, they speak against me. I'm the song of drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. As for me, my prayer is to you. I turn my heart to you. In an acceptable time, oh God, in the multitude of your mercy, hear me in the truth of your salvation. He goes, break in with salvation at the time that you've appointed. Because that's what I'm after ultimately, is your glory and your habitation. So do this. With that in your mind, turn over to Isaiah 62. What David's operating in I believe, ceded to him by Samuel, it comes to fruition in him when he's the king, this vow where he says, I won't give sleep to my eyes. In other words, I won't give myself any rest. What he's operating in, this anointing to see a habitation of God released in the earth, Isaiah prophesies that exact same anointing, that exact same spirit of the Lord, putting zeal in the heart, not just of one, but of an entire generation. Look at Isaiah 62. This is a familiar verse for us in the house of prayer, but let's look at it through a different lens. Look at it through the lens of David's vow, where David says, I won't give sleep to my eyes or slumber. He goes, I won't rest until God has a resting place. Now look at Isaiah 62, 6. He says, I've set watchmen, this is the Lord speaking of the end time prayer movement. He says, I've set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night, and you who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give the Lord no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The point is this. David was operating by the hand of the Lord in the zeal of the Lord to see night and day prayer established in his generation. He agrees with it and God brings it through him in his generation. We have the record of the vow that he makes that I won't rest until there's a dwelling place for God. And then 300 years later, Isaiah comes on the scene and he prophesies Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. And he says this, not only 
Will there be one man who sets up night and day prayer in his generation? He goes, at the end of the age, there will be an entire generation. I've already set them apart. They're watchmen on the wall. And they will not rest. They will not keep silent. They'll operate under the same zeal that David had is the idea. They'll operate under that same gripping, that same heart reality that David experienced. And they will uh, not rest. They won't keep silent until Jerusalem is a praise in the earth. Isaiah effectually prophesies there'll, there'll be an entire generation tapping into the same thing that David pap- tapped into. And beloved, I look at us and I go, man, Lord, we, I was praying to the Lord the other day. I go, Lord, we need your spirit. We need the spirit of revelation. I cannot go around here parroting verses that I get, you know, just with my mind. My heart has to move. And just crying out again, God, grip me again. Release light in my soul again. Let me see again. And he starts stirring me and brings me back to Psalm 132, this vow that David made. And I'll just tell you, I don't, you know, I don't quite comprehend. I look at my own journey and I go, how did you get me here again? I'm sure several of you guys feel that way. You know, you were heading one way and you zigged and the Lord said, no, it's zag. And you end up over here. You go like, how is that possible? I was heading this way. He goes, I have a plan. I have good works that I've prepared beforehand that I want you to walk in. And, and he, he pushes us along. He, he leads us along into his will. And I, and, I, and I just look back at my life and go, I don't, I don't understand this. And he said, well, before you ever had any desire to do night and day prayer, he said, I had a desire for a dwelling place in Atlanta. I had a desire for a habitation in Atlanta. I had a desire for a resting place in Atlanta. And I'll just say it this way. You and I, just as David was gripped by the Spirit of the Lord, the only reason that we exist, the only reason this place is even here, is because somehow we've come under the sovereign influence of God to see a dwelling place for the Spirit of God built in this city. i got to tell you this. This is awesome. Wait till I tell you this. When I first started getting the... The, the idea that I want to do night and day prayer. I got this vision to do five of them. And some of you heard me explain how I got that vision. It was a time of prayer, and I felt like the Lord spoke to me five. And shortly right after that, the Lord confirmed it to me in a, you know, a way you just can't, you just can't make it happen. And, and so I knew there's going to be five houses of prayer in Atlanta. There's going to be five. And then we started doing it, and it was so hard. About a year and a half in, people started going, so when are we going to start the next one? I'm like, start the next one? I'm just trying to like, basically like just hang on while we're doing the first one. And that may be the only one. We may not even know those other guys. Like, God help them, whoever they are. Just because it's so hard. It was just way more difficult than what I imagined. It's always that way. And because we'd never sign up if we actually knew the full price tag. The Lord goes, I'll, I'll help you say yes to this price tag. It's going to cost you quite a bit, but my grace will be there to help pay it for you. Just say yes. So, you know, we get going, and, and it's like the other four, I'm probably thinking, I'm thinking there's probably somebody else, some other guy, some other place, and I start trying to give that vision to other people. Hey, maybe you're a guy to do a house of prayer down there. Like, go for it. We'll cheer you on. And, uh, and about a year and a half ago, the Lord begins to bring that vision back to me in a big way, just so clear, and, you know, I spoke it to you. It's something I want to do, so I just say yes again. I go, okay, however you want to do it, I'm, I'm so happy. Well, the Lord be, begins to strategically set us up in relationship with a ministry in the inner city of Atlanta because I knew there'd be one in the northeast, one in the northwest, southwest, southeast, and one in, in downtown Atlanta. That's what, that's what I felt like the Lord had said to me when he said there was going to be five. And, uh, and he strategically sets us up with this, this ministry in, in, in the inner city. And we have this great connect and relationship. And I'm, I'm like, man, this is sweet. God was doing something. And, and then it just goes blank for about 18 months. And then about a month ago, things start percolating with our friends at the Atlanta Dream Center again. And out of the blue, two of our staff who'd been with us for um, seven years, 
they get a vision. They're, they're working in the marketplace, but they get a vision to move to downtown Atlanta and connect to the Atlanta Dream Center. And they had a whole ministry in their mind. They get down there, and though they had this whole ministry plan in their mind, the main thing that's burning on them is building night and day prayer in the inner city. Well, long story short, the Atlanta Dream Center has just been waiting for somebody to come down there and lead the charge for night and day prayer. And do you know, this just this past Friday, we all agreed together, Nathaniel and Tiffany Flock are going to birth the house of prayer at the Atlanta Dream Center. Oh, my goodness. There's, but there's no way, there's no way that that happens. I couldn't have talked anybody into it. It just begins to roll, and the, the desires, the joy that's in the heart of the Lord to see Atlanta be a resting place for His glory he begins to move the pieces. We begin to say yes, and then he just puts the pieces in place. And they're, they're now starting the house of prayer. This is the second one. We're just getting ready. I mean, it's birthed officially, but that one's getting ready to start percolating. I just, I'm so blessed by how the Lord leads. Well, it's his zeal. It's the very thing that he put in David. It's the very thing that Isaiah prophesied. It's the very thing that Jesus, when he shows up in the temple and he sees all those money changers and, and all the deceit going on and the falsehood that possesses Jesus, God in the flesh, to drive out the money changers with a whip. You ever, like, when you walk through it in your brain, you ever wonder where the whip came from? I mean, he didn't show up. He, he didn't have a carry permit, you know. He shows up and goes, what in the... I'll be right back. Goes out, gets the branches done. He's going, <laughs> He's, and he makes a whip, comes on back, and then starts driving them out. I mean, super intentional Jesus. Burning with the Spirit of the Lord. Jealous for the house of God. Desirous to see the place be a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The very thing that David was experiencing, the very thing that Jesus was experiencing, it's the very thing, beloved, that you and I have touched. In some measure, in some way, the idea that we want to be a part of something that goes 24-7 for the beauty and the glory of Jesus, it's the very same thing, the Holy Spirit gripping the heart and putting His zeal inside us. It's that Psalm 132 vow. Well, interestingly enough, and I'll just, I'll just land Interestingly enough, uh, Psalm 132 works with Psalm 133, which works with Psalm 134. So Psalm 132 is the vow to see that a dwelling place of God is established. That, and we wouldn't rest until we see God's dwelling place, His habitation place established among us. Well, Psalm 133 is behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's that anointing of fellowship that comes on a people where they begin to love right. They begin to love well. Psalm 132, vow for night and day prayer. Psalm 133, anointing of unity and love and fellowship. And Psalm 134, it's it's the declaration for the night watch. See, the Psalm 134 completes the vow. No matter who you talk to, no matter where you go, when they're building night and day prayer, they always scratch their head and they go, we just don't know how to get the night watch done. So you can't do the vow of night and day prayer unless you have the night watch reality. And so it goes, the vow. We say, yes, yes, I want to be gripped with the zeal of the Lord. And he goes, you know what? That seems hard, doesn't it? He goes, you hadn't seen hard yet because you're going to actually need a tangible anointing that runs down you and covers you to get into Psalm 133. (laughs) See, they actually escalate in difficulty. Psalm 132, vow for night and day prayer. Psalm 133, unity and love among the brethren. Now, tell me something. Unity and love among the brethren. Is that easy? It's probably the single most debilitating thing that's happened in the body of Christ is that the brethren have divided over a million issues, most of them based on selfish ambition and conceit because James so adequately tells us that wherever there's selfish ambition, every evil thing exists. 
If you can get selfish ambition and conceit going in the midst of the body, people looking out for self rather than looking out for what God said, then you can get that thing all confused. He goes, disorder and every evil thing. Which really ends up being a pretty intense commentary about many of our expressions in the body. Because of the, the exaltation of self and, and rather than the exaltation of Jesus. So you get the 132 vow, you get the 133 anointing of unity, which the commentators will tell you is an anointing of joy because it's resurrection after the cross, and I'll do a whole message or two on it. But you get the 132 vow, you get the 133 anointing of unity, and then you get the 134 night watch filled with that unity and the vow, people walking it out even in the night hours. And then the thing ends with the Lord turning around and the Lord releasing blessing on his people. Those three go right together in one package. And that's what we're going to talk about the next several weeks. Anyway, I'm just sort of emoting tonight. Just brimming, you know, kind of with all these thoughts. And what I want to do is I just want to, uh, I want to ask the Lord to come and I want to ask the Lord to, uh, again, Bring us under the influence of the Holy Spirit in the way that we would say, like David said, I, I, I won't rest until I see a, a dwelling place for God. I mean, we, we need in our hearts to say yes and yes again to this reality. But even more than that, we need the sovereign influence of heaven to grip our hearts with fresh vision and to grip our hearts with, with uh, grace, fresh grace to go for this thing hardcore. I, 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 uh, I think one of the things that I've, I've uh, just carried for the longest is to actually see Atlanta fall to the kingdom of God. Where the city is a dwelling place. The whole city. A holy zone of kingdom influence. It's a, a phrase the Lord gave me, gave me you know, 15 years ago. That the whole city would be a holy zone of kingdom influence. Where there would be a a manifestation of the power of the kingdom of God throughout the city, not just in a room. I mean, I'd love to get a a full-blown heaven encounter in the room at all times. Let's start there. Even on the front row would be wonderful. But you get the whole room, but then you get the whole county, and then you get the whole city. Where you get this kingdom, you know, expression of power and manifestation. There's just a, a dream in my heart to see this whole city be a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. It's at Ephesians 2.22. He goes, I'm building you together as living stones to be a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. What could it look like with a thousand congregations experiencing the on earth as it is in heaven reality? Well, those things are the things that, are, that first hooked me when it came to, to night and day prayer. I was a revival guy. still am. But I got pricked with the vision for a massive takeover of the Holy Spirit in our city just to see revival sweep through every nook and cranny. And it was in that pursuit that I realized for that to happen, we've got to pray. We've got to see God, you know, break this thing open. And the only way that's going to come is through intercession. And then when he gave me the vision for prayer, he twisted it on me, shifted it on me. He says, you don't pray just to get stuff from me. You pray and you worship me because I'm worthy. I said, oh, you mean like all my days? Like just, just to take all my days, like this is the way I, I live? And he's, am I worthy of it? Am I worthy of that? And he began to show me, you know, Mary who chose the good part. Martha busied Mary sitting at his feet. And I remember being two years into building the house of prayer, and we'd just gone 24-7. And I remember talking to some leader friends of mine, and they said, so what are you guys doing? I said, well, we're, we're praying. We're 24-7. They go, how, how, how long have y'all been 24-7? I go, about six months. They go, was well, revival happening yet? I go, no, not yet. Well, what are you praying for? We're praying for God to... Release revelation and direct our hearts into the love of God. And we're mostly praying for the knowledge of God, actually, which is, you know, revival, but even more. And we're praying for the Lord to return. We're like, oh, that's nice. 
That's nuts. Okay, so what are you guys doing? Oh, we're winning the whole city to Jesus. <laughs> you know, I mean, we've got all these epic testimonies. He goes, so what do you do? I go, mostly sit in an empty room, talk to God who I can't see most of the time. I go, that's nice. And, and you know, walking away, I, I'm thinking, they think I'm weird. Because <laughs> I used to be so normal. And if what I used to be was normal, whoo. Because I was still the revival guy, still on the fringe even then. And now I go, Lord, what did you do to me? And he just says, son, am I worthy of it? And then he has to take it to this place with me. Am I worthy of it if you never see the outcomes that you desire? Am I worthy of your heart even if you don't see everything you've dreamt? Will you allow me to grip your heart the way I gripped David's? David never saw the temple. David never saw the fire fall when Solomon prayed. Will you allow me to Possess you with zeal like I did David and like I did my son. And then after a while, you just get so wrecked with it all and you just say, Lord, just do whatever you want to do to me. Just make of me whatever you want. I'm yours. I'm, I'm going to quit trying to explain it to people and make it sound tidy. Quit trying to make it sound good for a newsletter. I just want what you want. Just make of me whatever you want. And let zeal for your house consume me. Just let zeal for your house consume me. Good. Well, I want to pray. I want to ask the Lord to re release that zeal on us, that Psalm 132 zeal, that, that vow that we wouldn't rest. That we, would, we would come under this, this reality again. We'd come under this, this uh, sovereign influence again, and we'd say yes again to sing to it that night and day prayer never ceases. And I'll tell you, if you're just new or you're part of our community, maybe you're not on our staff, but you're part of our community, we always need help. We always need help. We have a, 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 you know, a prayer rotation, 168 hours, 84 prayer meetings a week. We always need help. You have a portion you can offer. Even if you go, well, I'm not a musician, so there's nothing I can really do. No, come and sit in the chair and burn before the Lord in worship and prayer. That is easily, easily as valuable as anybody that's up on this platform. We don't see any difference. We just want to be a community that comes under this, this divine influence that says, we want a habitation for you, God. And step into that Ephesians 2.22, that we're being built together as a dwelling place of God in the Spirit.